Welcome back again to the Bad Quaker Podcast, where liberty is our mission. Today is Tuesday, April 23rd, 2013, and this is podcast number 305. My name is Ben Stone, and before I introduce our guests today, uh, I want to make a couple quick announcements. You've been hearing me talk about Pork Fest 10. Uh, Again, that's June 17th through 23rd at the Rogers Campground in Lancaster, New Hampshire. A um, lot of good speakers, a lot of good speakers, and it's filling up really quickly. The campground is filling up. Uh, you, if you're gonna go, you need to get the uh, you need to get your reservations and get your stuff in order because we're like what is it like five weeks away, something like that. So uh, you can't if if you can make it at all, Pork Fest, in my opinion, is the Liberty event of the year. Uh, now, also, I want to give a a what might be the final shout out for the Seacoast annual. Uh, Freedom Expo. It's going to be Saturday, April 27th, and that was originally for Exeter, New Hampshire at the Exeter Town Hall, but the lightning struck the town hall and it caught on fire. So it's going to be at the Trinity United Church Parish House, 29 Main Street in Seabrook, New Hampshire. That's about 300 (coughs) yards from the Massachusetts border. And to get there, take Route 1 uh, Main Street, uh, hmm, no, this is not the woman who was there. This is not the uh, uh, instructions. Let's see. You know what? I'll post the instructions on how to get there in today's show notes. And and as you can hear in the background, I have with me today Will Coley. Will Coley is uh, a good friend of mine, and I'm pleased to have him back on the show again. And uh, we're going to be honored with having Will's wife on as well. Will, uh, uh, to you and your wife, welcome to back to the Bad Quicker podcast. Thanks. Sorry about that. I thought you had me muted. <laughs> no, no problem at all. No problem at all. We're very informal. Um, now you're going to be uh, you're going to be at Pork Fest, and you're going to be doing services on Friday, right? Yeah, Friday at one thirty. So if you check your uh, Pork Fest schedule, uh, spe- especially. If you're of the uh, Islamic faith, uh, it'll be a real treat to see Will there. And I and so let's just get right into that. Uh, Will is, let me do a little introduction for Will Coley. Will Coley, much like myself, is of Appalachian heritage. He is uh, Scotch-Irish with a long tradition of uh, being independent in the hill people in Appalachia. And uh, and Will is uh, uh, what what we in the Quaker world would call a convinced. In, in when when a person becomes a Quaker, we call it becoming a convinced friend. And the the concept there is that you've looked at things and you've decided, hey, I like this. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. And Will is a convinced uh, uh, Muslim. Uh, is that a decent uh, way of explaining it, Will? Yeah, uh, that's. 
I guess you could say that would be the easiest way to put it. I, I actually studied Islam for a, a little over three years before I became Muslim. I'd never met any Muslims or anything like that the first time I went to a mosque. Um, I already had three years of, of study under my belt. So uh, I, I had, I kind of went the first time I went just to verify that my own understanding was correct, that I, I wasn't reading things and not understanding correctly. <laughs> And I guess you could say I kind of, I convinced myself. There's a uh, there's a meme floating around um, on the internet that says, um, "Would you be surprised to find out that most Muslims look at the uh, and I and I'm misquoting it, but it says something like, it, "Would you be surprised to find out that most Muslims look at uh, the radical Muslims the same, very similar to how Christians look at uh, Westboro Baptist Church." I don't know if you've seen that. Uh... Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Davi actually uh, challenged it yesterday, and I, I, I think that he, he did a pretty good job of it. He said, you know, if given the choice between uh, uh, Osama bin Laden and the Westboro Baptist Church, I'd take the Westboro Baptist Church any day. <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather just have crazy, obnoxious people um, making my faith look bad than crazy, violent people making my faith look bad. <laughs> I, I think really, and, uh, you know, I'll, as always, correct me if, I, if I'm wrong on any of this, but in my opinion, it, it appears to me that there are two things that are sort of giving Islam a bad name right now. Uh, one thing is a, what is proportionally a very small uh, group of radicals that are doing really stupid things. And the other thing that is harming Islam is, is specific governments that are propped up mostly by the U.S. that are pretending to be somehow uh, following Islamic law, when in fact those governments, and, and specifically for an example is Saudi Arabia, but there are plenty of other examples as well, these governments are not legitimately functioning uh, under uh, Islamic law, but yet that is being sold to the public. So people see the actions of these governments and think, oh, that's what Islam is. Well, yeah, the, uh, the the Saudi government, it's actually a little further than that. Uh, not only is Saudi, not the, the Saudi Arabian and the uh, Al-Sheikh family not have uh, any political or religious legitimacy to rule the country that they rule, but they assisted foreign governments in overthrowing the groups who did have some form of political or religious legitimacy to be in control. And then have since then um, ex exported their own uh, political and religious ideology under the guise of Islam, and have done so fairly well. With and, but I mean, what do you expect? It's kind of hard for people like me to compete with with the oil money. You know, you, some estimates are that the Saudi royal family is worth an upwards of three trillion dollars. Holy cow! Um, how do you compete with that? <laughs> you know, they have the ability to buy the schools, to subsidize the, uh, the mosques, to take over the printing uh, presses, and they've done so. They, they've done all of the above. So when you're grassroots, people who are working on the ground, who are trying to enact um, uh, change and trying to, to educate people and, and help and assist with a, a better understanding um, it, it's very difficult to, to be able to compete with that kind of setup. 
You know, it's like trying to compete with the American government. Just really can't do it. You know, like you don't take on the American military because they're everywhere. And it's the same thing with Saudi. It's kind of hard to take on the Saudi hegemony because it's it's fairly prevalent. I think it's weird too that most people in the United States, I think, uh, you know, they wouldn't make the argument that the actions of the U.S. government represent Christianity. A very few people would say that. Very few people would argue. You know, when uh, when the president of the United States sends a drone in uh, and it and it blows up in a in a wedding party and it kills twenty five or thirty people who have absolutely who who no one has ever accused them of being in any danger to anyone else, and and the U.S. government justifies killing those people simply because there was one person attending that wedding that was on a bad guy list. Well, nobody in their right mind would say, well, that's Christianity. That's what Christianity is. And yet, Americans every day look at Saudi Arabia and look at the the actions of Saudi Arabia and other countries like that and say, well, that's what Islam is. It's really an odd disconnect there. Well, well it's kind of funny because you've got um, the people, the people that, that say that Saudi Arabia represents Islam, that crowd, are also the crowd that says that America is a Christian nation. You know what I'm saying? Like, you and I both know that maybe in uh, spirit that America is a Christian nation, but it's it's not stated specifically as Christianity is the state religion of the United States. Right. So, but, but there are those who believe that it is, and they are also the ones who try to equate the the actions of, of governments or the actions of individuals with the teachings of faith. So it's it's the same people. The people that understand that Tennessee that, Tennessee, that America is not a quote-unquote Christian nation, funny enough, are also the ones who don't seem to lay those stereotypes out as often. So the people who are predisposed, I think, to that kind of thinking um, are, the, are the ones who have that problem. And People like you and I, who have the ability to look at things from historical and uh, other perspectives, we don't we don't make those connections like that because I don't think our brains are really wired to look at life in that way anymore. Yeah, we've had that awakening now where we see things from a different view. And I suppose uh, we should just jump right into the Boston thing. Uh, what what has happened there? Uh, is unbelievably appalling in so many ways. The you know the bomb was was terrible enough by itself, or the two explosions, that was bad enough on its own. But then the reaction to that, uh, you know, it's almost as appalling how not only the authorities, how not only how the authorities acted in Boston, but how people uh, have reacted to that and just. Um, I don't know. It, it it angers me almost beyond the point of being able to speak in intelligible fashion. I just I get so upset about it. I listen to the police scanners all day at home um, for Boston State Police, for uh, Massachusetts State Police, and for the Boston Police. And then when I left and went to work, I watched everything live. So the whole thing when uh, the second brother was caught, uh, the second suspect. 
I I saw the whole and listened to the whole thing throughout the day and and the, and the previous night. And when when they when they brought the kid out after doing door to door searches and not finding him, and a private civilian going out to have a smoke in his backyard and noticing something, you know, uh, the the police state that they threw into action didn't catch this guy. Right. It was a civil. It was a private civilian. When when I saw that. And the police brought him out, and after everything that they had done, the crowd just went into immediate ovations. My mind went back to that quote from Star Wars, and this is how liberty dies, to the sound of thunderous applause. Yeah. That, that was immediately what popped into my head, was, you know, we, 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 we as a people have literally, we've been conditioned now. To just accept. You don't question. We don't question anymore. Questioning shows that you have that you're paying attention. Whereas, you know, what what people are doing now is they just they don't care. If the state says it, then it's it, it's like it's it's like the state has replaced God. I've, I say this a lot. The state has replaced God. People used to question um, politicians and party. And government, people used to question their actions, especially in this country, and they showed absolute devotion to God. They didn't question God, but they they did question authority. Mm-hmm. Well, now that has changed to where people question whether God exists and question God in general and question their faith and have absolute unquestioning devotion to government and to party. Wow, that's an amazing observation. It's absolutely true, but that's just really an amazing observation. And it's it's really sad. I, I, I'm watching it, and I'm seeing it happen in my own community. The Muslim community has literally just decided that they don't believe in the American value of the presumption of innocence because, well, neither do Americans anymore. No. We need to be on the bandwagon. We need to be on the bandwagon so that we'll be accepted. We need to... Without evidence, except for the fact that the untrustworthy media and the untrustworthy government have both told us this is the story. Well, I need more evidence than just a few pictures and a couple of like videos of them walking around. You keep telling us you have uh, irrefutable video evidence of these kids planning these bombs. Okay, let me see it. Yeah, show it to us. How's come every time something like this happens, you have irrefutable evidence, but it's always secret. It's a national security issue that we don't show you the evidence that shows what really actually happened. The the Sandy Hook videos, they won't show those videos. There's contention over what happened at Sandy Hook. There's video evidence of what happened, but they don't want to show them to the public. And the same thing here, the Pentagon. There's surveillance videos from 9-11. There's surveillance videos from the Pentagon. And they don't want to show them to the it's national security. We know what happened. They flew a plane into it. That's what you told us. So show it to us. Show us. Show us the evidence. And the Muslims don't believe that anymore. That's a central point of Islamic legal theory is that um, <laughs> evidence has to be forthcoming before a conviction can be made. The uh, the great Islamic scholar Al-Hassan al-Basri said that the sign of a believer is that he reserves judgment until a matter is settled. And this matter is not settled. 
Yet the Muslim community, the Muslim organizations, everybody has grabbed their pitchfork and joined the mob because that's what you have to do now. In order to be an American, in order to be a patriot, you have to grab your pitchfork and join the mob. You have to throw what a being an American was supposed to mean out the window and instead join the mob. The mob is now what controls the country. Isn't that amazing? That it's just it's a horrible condition, but that's the way it is. They said on the news, you know, they they contradicted themselves on the news over and over and over. They changed the story over and over. You know, there was supposed to be the Seven Eleven robbing uh, that that the two brothers pulled off. They supposedly uh, shot a cop execution style as he sat in his car, and then they went and robbed a Seven Eleven, and then they were going down the street, and then they got in the shootout with the with the police, and then each aspect of this story starts to fall apart, like. Um, how do you specifically know it was them that shot the the, the cop execution style? Uh, what what evidence is there that they were the ones that were there shooting the cop? Then it it turns out there was no Seven Eleven robbery. There was no Seven Eleven robbery, and each aspect of the story, as you start to go through it, it just dissolves the whole. If you, if you take their whole government story from beginning to end, then it seems all right. It's, okay, this is how it was. But if you look at any particular aspect of it, then the whole thing falls apart. Okay, so we have pictures of them with a backpack on on each of the two brothers carrying packs. One of them is a white backpack, by the way. Yeah, the one that the, that the youngest is carrying is a white backpack. We also have images of the uh, remnants of the backpack that blew up, which is identical to the ones that the uh, that the private security agents were walking around with, and looks nothing like either of the two backpacks that the brothers carried. And then there's a, at least one picture of the two brothers after the explosion, both of which still have uh, packs. So each part of the story begins to fall apart. As oh, wait, wait, wait. Here's another one. This is my favorite that there were five total bombs at the marathon. That was reported by every media outlet, and it was reported in a press release from the police rep there talking to everybody that they found other explosives. Now the story is that there were no other explosives because, you know, most people, even if they're completely um, brainwashed by the state and sheeple, can do basic math and realize that one plus one doesn't equal five. Right. Here's another one for you. They supposedly um, they supposedly carjacked this car, and then the cops got in a chase with them, and then they were throwing bombs out the windows of the car, right? And yeah. they were shooting with rifles, and they were supposedly both had rifles, and they both had handguns, and they had grenades and uh, uh, pipe bombs and this kind of thing. Now, how much could they carry when they came up to the car to, to, to carjack it? Did they have like uh, a wheelbarrow with them? Uh, yeah, right. You know, because, because you can a person can only carry so much stuff and still successfully carjack a car. Well, and here's another interesting point about that that my wife pointed out to me. She says, you know, everybody that's been involved with this, the family, everybody has wanted their five minutes on the television, except for the person that they kidnapped, the carjacking victim. Yeah, they kidnapped. They kidnapped this person. They're the only person whose uh, identity has been withheld. They've not been on TV. They won't give a name. 
they're remaining anonymous. They are the only person in this entire situation that's remaining anonymous is the carjacking victim, the kidnap victim. There's a, I don't know if you saw it or not, there's also a strange connection with the, with the boy's uncle who just happens to have uh, very uh, deep connections with the CIA, with the Russian mafia, and with, uh, and with the royal family of England. Have you, have you spotted that? Oh, and, you know, uh, I see people who work for the Council of American-Islamic Relations and other, other well-known liberal Muslim organizations that are sharing photos of him and calling him a hero and saying he's the man. And, refu- and, not, and don't, don't you dare mention any of the truths that go along with that or the things that the media isn't really telling us about that stuff because you'll immediately be blocked or banned because you can't refute the official story and still be a good American. You have to believe the government's story because, well, they're the government. They're our wali. They're our protectors. They're the ones we're supposed to put our faith and our trust in. We shouldn't put faith and trust in ourselves and our own intellect and our own abilities to understand things because, well, you know, we're just people and they're the government. Yeah. And that seems to be the, the narrative that it's being... It, it, it's absolutely appalling. I mean, after 9-11, the Muslim community was at least willing to look at things and say, well, some of the, some things don't, don't sound right or some things don't look right to me or, well, why are some of these guys not dead yet? And how does a passport magically survive a explosion that takes down a building? You know, some of these things just don't make any sense. And they were vilified and attacked and, and, and th- if you question the official 9-11 story or you made mention of American foreign policy being a possible cause of 9-11, then you are attacked by the mainstream media in this country, especially, particularly if you're Muslim. The, 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 the whole issue around the guy uh, with the, 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 the so-called mosque at Ground Zero was the fact that he questioned the official 9-11 story. That made him equitable to being a terrorist or a terrorist supporter. So because of that, Muslims are afraid to have their own their own opinion. They're afraid to, to, to formulate their own opinion or use their brain at all. And people like me scare the hell out of them because not only am I Muslim, but I refuse to be beaten down by these people. Um, I think because the fact, you know, th- of where I come from. And the the the, uh, the lineage uh, that I come from, you know, we come from being oppressed by the TVA. Yeah, we come from seceding from the Union and from the Confederacy and telling them all to piss off. We don't want to be involved in your little squabbles. We've got our own thing going on here. You know, we we told the British the same thing when they told us you can't come across that mountain and settle that area. We said so. We told them. Um, yeah, whatever. And we went, you know, that's the lineage that I come from. Uh, the, the clan, the Scottish clan that I come from, uh, in the old world, uh, is the same clan as William Wallace. Uh, it's in my blood to question the government, to look at things and say, you know what? I don't believe that just because you told me so. I want to know for myself. I want to look at things and try to understand things on my own. Because I don't trust you just because you say I should. Because you do things that aren't trustworthy and make me not want to trust you. And, and it's, it's, I think it's just ingrained in me to be like that. And the fact that I can't tone it down. I don't have the ability. I don't, I don't know how. 
it scares people. It scares people in the Muslim community because they're afraid that me being out here and not being willing to shut up and sit down and, you know, just take what I'm fed could possibly, you know, cause a bad reaction for them, could possibly make me a target to, for one of these little plots like this, a setup, and uh, create another backlash for the community. And, and they fear that kind of thing. They're afraid of another backlash because when this happens, mosques get burnt down. Women with hijab get beat down in the street. Uh, men, a man's been attacked already. You know, there are hate crimes, uh, even though I don't really agree with the concept of hate crime. Um, there, there are violent crimes that are completely illegitimate that are carried out against just random Muslims on the street by people who want to act out their rage. And because of that, Muslims are terrified to stand up and say the things that I say. Also, a lot of Americans don't realize that, uh, like, uh, I think it was, was it Burma, where there are ac active uh, ethnic cleansings, or however you want to terminology, use the terminology? Burma, Palestine, you know. Yeah. Well, they're, the government, I, I think it was Burma, is actually going out digging ditches, Rounding up Muslims, shooting them, throwing them in the ditches, covering them up, going out and getting another batch. I mean, they're doing that right now, like last week, like this week, like yeah. like tomorrow. They're doing. The that. president. I think the president there is a Nobel a Nobel winner. Oh, he's, that's he's ironic. Mistake, mistaken. <laughs> Isn't it funny how murderers just keep ending up with that peace prize? Wow. Yeah. Yep. And, go ahead. No, 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 I'm just agreeing with you about the wow, like, yep, <laughs> it's really that bad now. Let's, uh, let's mention the, uh, the wife of the elder brother, uh, up there in Boston and the harassment that she's facing, um, over this. Yeah, yeah, um, basically what's happened is that, uh, the media has latched on to, you know, the official story and, is now portraying the wife as some kind of brainwashed, oppressed, abused. You know, it's just her life must be so horrible. And she was sleeping with the enemy, you know, because we don't try cases in the courts of law anymore. We try them in the, in the media now. So when, uh, <clears throat> when the media goes out and does their stories, they don't say alleged or suspect. Or they say bomber and they say enemy and that she Terrorist. was sleeping with the enemy. Did she know that she was living with and abetting a terrorist and all this sort of thing? And, you know, she was smart. She knows how things are in this country. She's an American. As soon as she saw what was going on on the TV and that her husband had been implicated in something, she lawyered up. And now her lawyer speaks on her behalf, and her lawyer is, is, is refuting all of these things, and the media is ignoring her, the words of her lawyer and are st instead going with the approved narrative stereotype of the Muslim woman. And I, I happen to have a, a Muslim woman um, here uh, who last night was, was watching this and, and absolutely having a cow over the the portrayal of, of how this woman has to not be able to think. You know, she's got a college degree, but she's got to be as dumb as a box of rocks because she's Muslim. And um, I thought I would allow a, another, another college-educated 
Muslim woman to have her opportunity to to discuss that issue. Uh, here you go, Barrett. Miss, Mrs. Coley, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you on. Uh, my name is, uh, my, um, I didn't take Will's last name, I, I just kept mine, so, my name is Adam, uh, because, uh, my last name is Adam, because, you know, uh, in Islam, we believe a woman's heritage and bloodline should be preserved, so that my kids know, you know, uh, where I came from, and, you know, my line of the family, even though they'll take his last name, but they still need to know where I came from. I think that's good. I, I apologize for for missing your name there. It's it's not like a, a property transfer where I take on his name and you know I belong to him and I have his name. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's it's not a problem. People make that assumption all the time. It's not a big deal. I just figured I'd explain it. But um, yeah, I was, I was reading some <laughs> of the stories about. Catherine, Catherine Russell, who, which is his wife, and I'm, I'm just so offended by the way these so-called friends of hers have come out to speak, and they're like, well, you know, she was, she was normal, she wore clothes like jeans and t-shirts and skirts, and then when she, and uh, when he came back from Russia, she started wearing this white headscarf, and, and, uh, it was, you know, so, oh, she just completely changed. Started wearing this scarf, and uh, she stopped going to clubs, and she stopped going to the bar with us. And he kind of judged us for going to the bar. She has a three-year-old at home. She's working, you know, to support her family. And it's like, you know, who wants to go to the club when you have a a, a toddler at home? Like, who even does that? Aside from like Casey Anthony, like. I mean, it, it's not something that's normal or expected. They were like, oh, she, you know, she she stopped hanging out with us. She stopped going out with us. And it was, we knew he was bad news. And she was just so oppressed. And, and you know, the assumption that she just took on this life and dropped everything that she had to be abused and oppressed by this Muslim guy and have him dictate to her everything that you know, she does, uh, you know, she just stopped being American, and I, I'm just so offended by, by, the, by the assumption that just because you wear a headscarf and, you know, because you stay at home with your family instead of going out to clubs, that somehow there's something wrong with you, and, you know, you're, you're listening to your husband, and you have no mind of your own, you have no life of your own. I mean, I, I lost touch with my friends because of my kids because it's, you know, it's hard to have a, a toddler and work and be married. It's not something that, you know, that's just, just because I'm Muslim, this is what happened. It happens to everybody, and everyone's just using this to attack Islam and her, and I think she's, she's smart. She lawyered up, and the lawyer's talking to her, and the lawyer's just saying, She's Muslim, and she chose to be Muslim by herself. It was her own decision. She believed in Islam. She believed in Allah. And, you know, they want her to deny her religion and say, Oh, no, I didn't know he was a terrorist. I want to go back to Christianity. She hasn't done that. She said the only statement she's ever made is that 
She chose Islam by herself, not because of him, not because of anybody else, and she still believes the tenets of Islam. That's all she said. And and that's it. <laughs> when, uh, when my wife and I were married... Uh, we were heavily involved in partying and in the in the purchasing and selling of large quantities of drugs, and we were, you know, uh, we were completely engulfed in that whole lifestyle. And not long after we got married, we had very serious discussions, and we uh, agreed that we both wanted to have children, have a family, have a normal life, and. Uh, uh, and we and we just left that entire life. I mean, we walked away from drugs. We walked away from all of our friends that were associated with that lifestyle. And uh -huh. we actually moved about fifty miles away to a different town uh, in order to break free from you know all of our connections with that whole lifestyle. And uh, uh, you know, I'm sure our friends were shocked by that the same way. But oddly enough, you know people look at it differently for some really goofy reason if you just add the word Muslim to this mix. Even though Christians do what we both described, Christians do this all the time, Pentecostals do this, Mormons do this, Jehovah's Witness do this, Catholics do this, a lot of different kinds of Christians step away from a from a what is typically considered a sinful life uh, and and especially when the time comes to have a family, a lot of people, whether they're Christian or not, or or any other faith, they have a tendency to say, "Well, I got to grow up now. I have responsibilities. I have things to do." Yeah. But then you just add this one word, Muslim, to the mix, and all of a sudden, Americans think that the woman is being oppressed. She's being forced to do this. She has no brain. She has no will of her own. She's just a puppet. And it's it's just unimaginable how this how this how thinking people believe this story. They just assume that you know she's compliant, she's abused, and she's compliant with that, and you know she's just somebody that enjoys being abused, or you know is too stupid to call the police or do something about it. And then they have like all these um, uh, psychologists come on as to speak on her behalf, even though she hasn't said a word to anybody about, like, the media doesn't know anything about her, ju just what her lawyer has said, and that's all they know. And so they brought all these friends from high school that knew her and was like, oh, I know he was bad news. And then these psychologists are, like, trying to analyze her mind, even though they've never met her, and they're like, once the sense of ownership is established, you know, once she converted, that's when... Uh, that's when he he was able to become more abusive because now she's just his pawn and he can do whatever he wants with her because she's his property now because she converted to Islam. And it's just so offensive to me because people look at me and think that when I, when I was working, people thought for some reason that I was abused at home and it doesn't look, it looks bad for the company if I'm lifting boxes and the garbage to help out because apparently at home, I, I'm, they feel at home I'm abused so they don't want it to look like they're abusing me at work or using me at work. And I'm, I was just like, that's ridiculous. Why would you even say that? And and they were just like, you know, we just we just assume you you look like somebody that's, that's had a hard life and that gets abused, 
and wouldn't do anything about it. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, like, are you insulting me? Like, do you think I don't know any better or I don't feel I deserve any better than a man that mistreats me and, you know, uses me as property? Like, are you serious? Like, who do you think you are? Just say, like, and I'm supposed to sit there and be like, yeah, just because you're my boss and, you know, you have this opinion and all those people around you have this opinion about me, which is really offensive and makes me feel like there's something wrong with me because you would assume that I enjoy being beaten or, or you know, owned. And the, they're doing the same thing with this woman and just, like, bring out all this conjecture and nobody's even spoken to her. All she said is that she's still Muslim and she that's what she believes. And they're just like, oh, my goodness, he's brainwashed her. No. She's, she's dressing modestly and no, this is terrible. Somebody do something. He's a terrorist and did she know? Well, no, she didn't know. She was brainwashed. She was putty in his hands. Wow. That, and that kind of stereotyping, uh, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be tolerated with pretty much any other ethnic group or any other religion or any other, you know, any other group of people that kind of stereotyping would be pointed out in the public and ridiculed. And yet it's okay if, if it's Mormon, I mean, I'm sorry, if it's Muslims, it's, it's perfectly fine to do that. It's perfectly fine to just make these wild assumptions, uh, that the men are horrible, violent, brainless monsters that just want to kill. And the women are dumb slaves that can't say no. And just, uh, you know, wrap themselves up in all that evil, you know, all that evil cloth to keep, and that must be the problem if they could just, you know, it's it's mind boggling this this whole thought pattern. She has her own she has her own villainess thing that she has to deal with too. There's uh when people see us out in public and they see that I'm Caucasian and I'm an American and that she's brown and that she's not, the automatic assumption is that she tempted me to the dark side and that I converted <laughs> so that I could marry her because non Muslim men aren't allowed to marry uh, Muslim women. When the the truth of the the matter is that we met at a an Islamic event through a friend of hers who I was interested in, and she was actually trying to find me a wife. When we ended up getting engaged to each other, I had already been Muslim. Was I was actually already teaching Islam um, at Valencia Community College for the professor there. I was coming in and doing the classes on Islam that he had um, for his his classroom. I was going there and teaching that section of their uh, curriculum for him at that point when uh, when we met. So uh, that's a myth, but it's an, the immediate assumption uh, that I couldn't have possibly, that I'm the brainless moron um, <laughs> that is thinking with, you know, what, what I have between my legs. I couldn't have possibly made the conscious decision to uh, become a Muslim uh, without, you know, being tempted by her and because, you know, I'm just, I'm a man, so I don't have the ability to think with, 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 with both of my heads. I can only think with the one between my legs. So, you know, that's why I, I, I've, I've left and become one of them, you know, and it's, oh yeah. And then there's the, uh, the, the, the Marine and the princess, 
you know, the movie, the Lifetime movie, The Marine and the Princess, where the Marine goes and he finds this Afghani princess and he saves her <laughs> from her oppression overseas and, and her arranged marriage and brought her here so that she could be free. You know, that's the other <laughs> assumption. Like, we couldn't have it, we couldn't have a normal story like everybody else. Like when we met at school, you know, like she went to she went to school and I lectured there, and then I became a student, and, and we did projects together, and ended up falling in love with each other because we saw we had similar interests. You know, I wanted a wife that wouldn't mind gutting a deer, <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. That was what drew me to her was the fact that, you know, her father was uh, uh, an Olympic sharpshooter, a gold medalist for the, you know, in the country that she had come from, that she was fond of firearms and of hunting and camping and, you know, all these things that I liked, you know, I wanted a girl that was into the same things I was into and that ended up being her and she was trying to find me a wife and I told her to stop, but I wanted to marry her instead. And she told me to shut up and stop talking to me for like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so many people, uh, they base their thoughts on, on, uh, goofy Hollywood, uh, stereotypes. Like what you're just now describing there is just a series of, of Hollywood stereotypes. Um, and, and, some of them are absolutely ridiculous. One person I was talking to uh, the other day uh, told me that, well, the Boston, they, they had to do what they did with the uh, takeover of, um, uh, was it Watertown in, yeah. in the Boston area where they just basically came in with the military and took over? He says they had, they had to do that because if they didn't do that, there would have been mobs in the streets walking down the streets uh, grabbing every, uh, every person that matched, matched that description and hanging them. And I said, are you serious? And he says, yeah, mobs would have been all over Boston hanging people. So basically what he's saying is that American society has not evolved one inch since the 1850s. <laughs> or, or even just assuming that the Hollywood portrayal of the 1850s was accurate. Like, right. you know, I mean, I was, I, I, I'm, I was beside myself. I was like, you honestly believe that if the military hadn't take over, taken over, that there would have been villagers with pitchforks and torches going through the streets, you know, uh, yeah. when, when has anything like that happened? You know, in, in the Oklahoma bombings, nothing like that took place, you know, nothing like that took place after nine 11. I mean, there's no, there's no precedent to think, even allow yeah. that to come into your mind, but yet that was there in his head. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, because that's, that's that's what we've been we're, we're being told that we don't have the ability to think for ourselves that without them we are animals insane animals and with without their control what they define as anarchy will ensue and i agree that without their role anarchy will ensue but i don't believe that they know what that word actually means <laughs> if they use it <laughs> But people will go back to, I don't know, I won't have to buy a quarter of a cow from the Amish community down the street to get milk that I want. I'll just be able to go down there and say, hey, Mr. Delano community member, can I have a gallon of milk? 
and he can say yes it'll be five dollars and i can give him five dollars and he can give me milk or i can give him some of my cherokee purple tomatoes that we're growing this year and he can give me some milk i'm sure he won't need them because i bought my plants from him so but you know we we can do these things and and, and not have to worry about the government being involved and in demanding their cut yeah and things like that and it, that's really what it's all about is the more power they get the more money they're able to to extract from us and the more money they extract the more power they get and it's 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 a big big circle and uh I know that we're running out of time, so I want to make sure that there's one thing that I, I do mention is that the um, the trying of this case uh, is uh, is over with. Oh this yeah, case has been tried already. It was tried before they even released the photographs, um, and the media has made sure of that. That this is the bomber. These are the bad guys. Uh, Innocent people don't run when they feel like they've been set up. Innocent people don't fight back when they feel that their lives are being threatened for no just cause. Um, so they're they're the bad guys, and I, I I see this happening not just with 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 the Muslim community, not just with Fox News, but everywhere. People that I once saw as rational, reasonable people. Um, a girl that I worked with who was a president of Amnesty International who's basically calling to hang these people in the streets. Wow. She's, you know, they don't deserve the rights. Um, when, from my understanding, the Constitution is meant to apply to all men at all times in all situations, be them citizens or not. You know, that's not my words. That's the words of a you know, someone who should know. But um, – at John Adams, uh, when I see all this happening and the way that it's going, I, I remember the Boston Massacre, you know, the first one. Yeah. When British troops were accused by eyewitnesses, many eyewitnesses, of gunning down American civilians in the streets in cold blood. And John Adams stood and stood against the mob that day and said, no. These men will have a trial. There'll be no hanging until there's a trial. And and he defended them. A, the, a founding father, a co-author of the Constitution, defended foreign troops who had been accused by eyewitnesses of murdering Americans in the street in cold blood. He defended them. He stood up for temperate justice. Because that is justice. Mob justice and hanging people in the streets before a trial and tr and convicting people in the media before a trial is not justice. What John Adams stood up for that day, that was justice. And that is what my organization's official position on the Boston bombing marathon is. I want to make sure that that's stated. Is that Muslims for Liberty will not join the chorus of the mob. We will reserve judgment until the trial is concluded before we condemn the person. Now, the action, the illegitimate use of violence against innocent civilians will always and is always condemned by Muslims for Liberty unequivocally. The illegitimate use of force is immoral, period. doesn't matter who does it or what justifications that they try or attempt to use for it. The illegitimate use of force against civilian populations Innocent people who are not in any way trying to harm you is not 
right. It's, it's wrong. And we unequivocally condemn that. But we will reserve judgment on the people who are accused of committing these actions until the trial has been concluded. And until all the evidence has been made public. So that people have the ability to see yes or no this happened or did not happen in the way that the state is officially dictating the details to us. I might add to that too, Will, that CNN is announcing today that uh, that the younger of the two brothers has basically admitted to everything and is saying that his brother led him into this and that his brother was a crazy militant and all these things. But I just want to remind everybody who's listening that the that this that this year nineteen year old a teenager a nineteen year old boy was hunted down whether he was guilty or not is not like you're saying I'm going to reserve uh, my judgment on that because I don't have all the evidence in front of me and he hasn't been tried yet but what I do know is that he was hunted down he was shot multiple times he was found huddled and hiding uh, and and then once he was found they riddled the boat that he was in. Uh, with with bullets before they went in, drug him out of there. They threw two flashbangs into the boat uh, while he was in there. Then they drug him out, haul him into the hospital, do not read him any of his rights, refuse him uh, uh, legal counsel, and essentially they've got him in a position where he knows they just killed his brother, and they'll do the same to him, or at least he's believing that, even if it's not true. And then, torture him if they don't. Yeah, and he can, he, by according to the law of the land nowadays, according to presidential order, he can be hauled out of Boston and shoved in Gitmo for the rest of his life. He knows this. Even if the trial finds him innocent. Yeah. The precedent has been set that we will hold people, even if they have been exonerated of charges after trial, on the assumption that as a act of revenge for taking them and kidnapping them in the first place, that they might commit an act of terror against the United States. Yeah, that's, so we'll that's been established. Yeah. That's established precedent. We have done this already. The guy's innocent, but he might want to attack us because we kidnapped him wrongly, so we're just going to never let him go. Yeah. Now, Now, this kid knowing that... <laughs> That means that any self-incriminating, self-incriminating testimony that he gives, according to traditional Western law at least, is not acceptable evidence. You cannot torture someone and get them, uh, and, and what is torture other than chasing a guy, you know, uh, what was it, like four blocks that they chased him and he hid into the boat. The, the, that's another thing. The shooting took place literally down the street and across the street from where he was found. And all of that searching, they didn't bother to like follow a blood trail for a couple blocks and find it. But it, but that beside the point, after all of that, if that's not torture, being shoved into a hospital, going through all of that, then any testimony that he might have that's self-incriminating should not ever be accepted in a court of law. Uh, for Christians, think about the situation where Jesus was taken and beaten. <clears throat> And then if he had stood there and they'd say, okay, now admit that, you, that, you, that you're claiming to be the Christ. Well, what if he did? Uh, would, would that have, after being beaten like that, would his testimony be acceptable? In ancient Israel, it was not acceptable. It was not acceptable to even ask somebody to testify against their self. That was against the law in, uh, in ancient Israel. Uh, 
And yet here we are in America, the, the whole of, uh, of traditional Western law is thrown out, and we're going to accept a, a torture victim's testimony of self-incrimination. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. It's the new definition of freedom. Yeah. And I don't know how things are in Muslim law, but I would assume that they don't accept a, a testimony under torture either. Torture is outlawed. If anything that you do to someone to commit torture against them, you will suffer in the afterlife. Well, we'll... <laughs> oh, you know... Torture is absolutely outlawed. There's a, um, even um, there's a, an extremist group that has its own uh, uh, Islamic constitution that it's put together called uh, the Piyadina Nabhani. And uh, even in their constitution, it states that torture is is not acceptable and will be outlawed and any confession or legal testimony uh, rendered by torture will not be admissible. This is, this, now this is an extremist group. This is one of the groups that, that we're worried about, like wanting to take over the country and stuff that people are telling us to be afraid of. Even their own constitution states that you can't, that torture is an admissible, that torture testimony is an admissible. You know, around a hundred years ago, right around 1913, there was a series of things that took place. Um, we had the income tax came in. Um, there had never been an income tax before that, or at least uh, there had never been one permanently established as being legal. Um, the Federal Reserve was dumped on, the, on America. Mandatory state schooling was dumped on America. Forced vaccinations right around 1910, 1913, began to be the rage, and, and, uh, and that was happening in America. Um, there was the breakup of the trusts, giving favor over to corporations, over trusts, uh, completely distorting the business world. The prohibition of alcohol was right around the same time, about 100 years ago. And, uh, and there was the takeover this, of Saudi Arabia happened at the same time it, as well. It did. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, the demonization of the anarchist movement of the day happened a hundred years ago. Um, yep. the, the U S entered into a quagmire war in Europe. We had always stayed out of all of the European wars cause there had been European wars just every few years and we had stayed out of them. Then all of a sudden we get involved in one of them a hundred years ago. All these happened just about exactly a hundred years ago. And I have often looked back at that and I've thought, how did Americans let this happen? How did Americans a hundred years ago sit back and do nothing while their government did these things? How is that possible? But the problem is, at some point in time, our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren are going to look back at today and they're going to see, they're going to see how we handle stuff like what happened in Boston, and they're going to see how we handle the Muslim community. And they're going to ask themselves, how did those people in America behave like that? And how did they tolerate a government that behaved like that? And how did they tolerate this kind of thing? How did they sit back and let this happen? How did my grandfather let this happen? And, uh, I, and I, for one, would be ashamed to have my grandson uh, know that I sat back and said nothing. <clears throat> that I sat back and said nothing while all this took place in front of me. Exactly. I won't be the one either. Uh, uh, I, I, I like Adams. I like I like both of the Adams because they were um, they wouldn't be they were the kind of guys that they wouldn't be quiet. You know, 
they, they couldn't just sit back and take whatever that they were told and accept whatever that they were told. They, they had to stand up. When they saw things that were wrong, they, they had to stand up. They had to say something and speak out. And, you know, Adams once said, you know, today I study the, the, the science of politics and war so that later my children can study, you know, music and art. And that's, that's kind of the, the approach that I've taken to this is that, you know, I want my parents didn't take the, the time and the consideration to leave a better America for me. They went with the status quo and just accepted what they were given, accepted what they were told, just like most other Americans. And I don't want to I don't want to be guilty of that. I want to give I want to either give my kids a better America than the one that that I got or, or I want to I want to work at being the one who does that. I, I want to be involved in, in, in trying to go back to that better America that we used to have. I, I, I can't be seen on the day of judgment when God asks me, you know, you saw this injustice and you saw these things going on around you. What did you do? I don't want to look at him and say, I went to work and minded my own business. Well, I really appreciate you and your wife coming on the show today and we expressing your opinions. We appreciate you having us, Ben. We, I always love talking to you, and, and congratulations on the, the the Pork Fest invite. It's really big for you. Um, uh, Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm loving watching your, your career blossom right now. It, it, it's really inspiring to see uh, someone who, who is so uh, dedicated to proper understandings of history and put so much time and effort into what you do, having it pay off. I like, I, I really, really like seeing fate smile on those who are virtuous. Thank you, Will. I appreciate that. And you can find more from Will Coley over at Muslims for Liberty. And I'll uh, have links on uh, in today's show notes. But uh, if you want to get to it on your own, just type in Muslims, the number four, the word liberty.org. And that's uh, Muslim for Liberty's uh, site, and Will is the director over there. Any other websites you want to give a shout-out for? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I write for the Libertarian Review. Uh, that's uh, libertarianreview.us. And I, uh, my, my cohort, my co-conspirator, my partner in crime, uh, Davi Barker, he uh, writes for the Daily Anarchist, for Silver Circle Magazine, and for Patheos. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to Davi and his amazing project, Shiny Badges. Everybody should go out and uh, get themselves a shiny badge at shinybadges.com. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And and I just might want to say I'm holding in my fingers one of the badges from shinybadges.com that uh, Davi gave me at the Liberty Forum. And, and thanks a lot, Davi. Uh, Will, thanks again for coming on the show. And folks... Um, uh, thanks for listening today, and remember to visit badquaker.com where liberty is our mission. Thank you very much.